Hi guys. Hello. How are you today? Good. How are you? Uh, I'm exceptional and I'm excited. Um, we, this is the first time I've ever moved my Facebook Live conversation series since I started it like, I don't know, 10 weeks ago. But Jamie, when you and I started chatting, you're like, Wednesdays are tough for me. I'm like, that's okay. I'll do it any day of the week. Doesn't matter. Let's go ahead and just, let's just go and move that date. So thank you so much for being here. Of course. Thank you so much for asking us. Yeah. You bet. You bet. So uh, I'll take care of the housekeeping note. Uh, I'm going to do the introduction. And then, like I said, uh, a Facebook audience, let's give her a thumbs up. Jamie's a little nervous today. She's so sweet. She's a little nervous today. So let's be really kind to her. Let's get lots of hearts and thumbs up. Um, Emily's watching, and I'm sure she's watching down there with Frankie. I'll tell that anecdote in a second. But let's get rid of the formalities. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the People First and Profit live conversation. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about how to have difficult conversations with your children um, relative to things like racism and injustice and inequality. I am joined today by none other than uh, Jason and Jamie. Uh, we know Jamie because she was Frankie's third grade Parents Day Out teacher. And in fact, she was Frankie's first ever educator. So... Um, when I decided I wanted to have this conversation with someone, uh, uh, Emily actually was the person who reminded me. I said, I said what about, what about Miss Jamie? And she goes, yes, and Miss Jamie is married to a proud African-American gentleman. So this might be really good for you, Don. So uh, I am I'm honored to have them here. And let me just read their biography, uh, which is uh, lovely. Today, I'm extremely excited to welcome Jamie and Jason to the People First and Profit live conversation. Jamie is originally from Arlington, Texas, where she studied and taught dance to children and adults beginning in 1999. You're dating yourself, Jamie. <laughs> she, start, she started when she was 10. You started teaching when you were 10. She transitioned into early childhood education after having her boys. Jason Hales from Maryland. He quickly pointed out when I was drinking from my Steelers cup that he is not a Steelers fan. He is, in fact, a Ravens fan, right? Baltimore Ravens. So we're going to, we're going to be friends anyway. That's okay. Different differences bring us together. Um, so he was, <laughs> hails from Maryland and he's an educator and coach for 18 years. The couple met in Southern California. Woo, woo, those are my stomping grounds in 2009 and moved to North Dallas in 2017. They both teach at private schools here in the Dallas area. So if anybody had any question as to whether or not this is a great conversation for me to have with you, that takes care of that since you're both parents and basically lifelong educators. Thank you for being here. Of course. Again, thank you. Yeah, you bet. You ready to get started? I'm ready. Absolutely. Okay, all right, Facebook land. Like you know, uh, if you're watching live right now, you can ask questions in the comment field. I'm keeping an eye on all of your love and hearts. We've got many, many hearts coming through, guys. So as I said to your promo, I was getting all kinds of love from folks that aren't in my immediate circle, which tells me that you clearly uh, have a very, very supportive group of friends and family. So... Uh, let's start with your journey. Um, I, I think we should maybe start uh, with your journey as a couple and then maybe your growth into a family. So based on your bio, I know that you guys met in Southern California. So just walk us down that narrative and let's get to know you as people before we know you as educators and as parents. Sure. Um, yeah, so we met at a private school. We were both teaching there. Um, started dating. And... Um, 
honestly, the ish that, you know, racial issues never came up between us. We didn't really discuss that between us in the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, but fairly soon after we started dating, um, one of my colleagues said to me, so do you normally date black guys? And I was taken aback, like, what kind of question is that? And mm -hmm. I think I just said something like, oh, I've dated all sorts of people, you know? But mm -hmm. I think that was kind of the, the first instance where I thought, okay, this isn't always just going to be about Jamie and Jason. Some people are mm -hmm. going to see us and they're going to see black and white. Um, and I think really the next time that really came up for me strongly was after we had our first child. So we got married in 2013. Mm -hmm. um, and our first son, Isaiah, was born in 2014. Um, our little love has, you know, light skin, um, light hair, light eyes, um, the most handsome little thing. And pretty immediately, people just were, were almost like baffled and, and kept saying things to us about, and that, he has such like skin or, you know, like people would ask me, like, do you think he's going to darken up? or you know just make comments i don't know if jason wants to speak more about the comments that he was receiving you know um to, to jamie's point just to piggyback on that you know questions about where, where, where does he get his, his his hair color from you know because his hair color wasn't like mine or like jamie's you know it was very light um blonde to be matter of fact and and where, where does he get the blonde hair from so you know for me, I, I would I would deflect and make jokes about, hey, I used to have blonde hair. You know, I dyed my hair blonde when I was in college. You know, maybe mm. God for me. Um, but you know, uh, to 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 then drill down into it, Jamie, when she was uh, a, a little a little girl, had blonde hair for a, a little period of time as well. So, you know, to give that that backstory, um, again, gave some people some some some. A, a platform to then create a, a, a longer dialogue you know at, initially they wanted to just put that out there as a question and I think the the next phase of that is the education piece you know well mm -hmm. we're drilling down into this now and we want to really get to understand why he looks that way and, you know, when we pre-framed this, I thought it was really interesting that uh, we started talking about it and it, it sort of solidified for me the, the need to have this conversation because if we have this conversation about how to educate, educate your children, it sort of means that adults also sort of understand then that they need to be educated. Because I can imagine as an educator, you, you kind of want to grab those people and shake them a little bit and, and A, like try to help them understand how socially awkward and unacceptable those questions are. Because if we really pull up that thread a little bit, I was actually having this conversation with Emily because we chat a lot about these conversations before they happen. And I said, I was talking to, uh, I'm going to call you Miss Jamie at some point. So I might as well just get it out of the way. Uh, because of course your daughter, my daughter was in your class. And so I've, I've referred to you as Miss Jamie for so long. So I was chatting with Miss Jamie and Jason and, um, I said, why do you think people ask those questions? Because nothing good comes of that kind of question. I mean, are they inferring that they don't understand how recessive and dominant genes work? Maybe. 
are they are they insinuating that that they're not your child, Jason? Which is just an a level of uncomfort, unacceptability in asking a question at a cocktail party. Like it it was it was sort of shocking to me uh, because it's not a kind of question you can just play off, right? It's it's either one that needs a genuine response, right. or you have to make them feel uncomfortable and awkward about it because it, it it's uncomfortable and awkward. And he, you know, Jason had people jokingly say to him, oh, are you sure that's your kid? Are you mm-hmm. sure that is yours? Um, and Mama Bear came out. I mean, I, <laughs> I was infuriated by it. Sure. Um, and Jason, of course, didn't love it either. But sure. I noticed was more calm with mm-hmm. his responses. And when we, you know, really started talking about it, you know, he basically was like, Jamie, I've dealt with things like this my entire life. I mean, I'm more practiced in, in responding to it, which is so, so sad. It is so sad. And it's funny because you and I share something in common in that I have talked for the last number of weeks about my own ignorance, which it has been my pleasure to do. In most cases, I think people are like, that that would be hard for them. I have no problem holding up a giant banner of ignorance that I was willfully accepting the fact that I was not as aware as I should have been, right? And so you and I shared this outrage, this anger. And then as we're having this pre-framed conversation, Jason's like, I mean, it's just another day. I've been dealing with this with my whole life. And so now that we're sort of awakened to this, it's mortifying to us. And it was probably mortifying to Jason a couple of decades ago. And now it's sort of lather, rinse, repeat, which I hope basically conversations like this start to change, um, that more people are outraged for you. I couldn't agree more, but you know, the, the fact that we can start to understand that we have blind spots, that we don't necessarily get everything right off the bat, you know, that that's, that's okay. If you embrace Mm -hmm. that and ask those questions, I think that again, opens some, some eyes and yeah, some of those questions may come, come off the cuff and, and seem out of bounds. Um, you know, they may be lifelong friends and they just don't really know how to ask the right question the right way. Mm. Um, you know, uh, that that's, again, okay. I, I think that's how we learn. So is it, does it, when you say something like that, then I, I assume we could also just add the caveat that intention matters, right? So um, if people are genuinely interested in learning, like, don't get me wrong, and I would say in the last three weeks, I've, I've preached sort of my own ignorance at the same time. I've stepped in it a couple of times where I'm like, oh my gosh, that's not what I meant. Or I didn't mean to say that in a genuine effort to learn. I think maybe there are some people that try to veil uh, contempt or, or quasi racist or covert racism by, by kind of ribbing or joking. And that's certainly not okay. Um, So I, I share in your, in, in your belief that intent matters and that's how we all learn. So thank you for the latitude, man. <laughs> um, I, I think I've, I've liked some of the science to be perfectly careful, uh, candid when people say like, you know, we're happy that black folks just want equality and not revenge or not reparation or not, you know what I mean? You guys have been, it's been, it's been a tough run <laughs> to say the very least. Um, all right. So uh, I've, I know you and I'm glad that the audience knows you a little bit better now. Uh, I'm really excited to move on to the next uh, the next level of conversation because obviously why we're here is to address if it's hard for us as parents to learn, 
and it's hard for us to make this sort of an innate and obvious thing. How do we have this conversation with our children? And one of the first questions we discussed you two was, should I teach my child to be colorblind? As people often say, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. What are your thoughts and ideas on, on how to address that with our children? Well, um, I'll take that one. And, you know, I, I believe and I truly feel that, you know, being colorblind isn't something that I, I can, I can fully embrace. I think kids are curious to begin with and they're going to, they're going to see color. They're going to see the differences and ask questions about it. So, um, again, embracing that and having a, a conversation and recognizing and celebrating those differences is important, you know, so that way they understand, Hey, a a person that has darker skin color, um, is due to this reason. And, Mm -hmm. and this person's hair color is, is for this reason, or, you know, getting into the cultural aspects a little bit deeper. So basically relying on, science relying on the the reason that those differences happen is better than trying to to n- make them not want to do that because i think i like the word you said was curiosity right yeah. people kid, children ask these questions out of curiosity they would they would ask you know uh questions about the whole world based on curiosity so when it comes to color of skin or any kind of racial difference it's best to just approach it like you would any other question Yeah, I mean, as an early childhood educator, in my experience, I mean, for the most part, kids are asking questions like this out of curiosity, and Mm -hmm. it's natural, and how you respond to them um, then kind of dictates how they feel about the topic, Um, and so, no, we we don't want kids to be colorblind. We want them to see all the colors and recognize the beauty in them be able to embrace them and, and also be able to find some common ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great book that I read in um, my preschool classes. It's a Sesame Street book and it's mm-hmm. called We're Different, We're the Same and We're All Wonderful. Um, oh, fun. But what's cool is that it takes you through, you know, it'll show a page of, you know, maybe 10 different types of noses, different sizes and colors and shapes. Um, and, you know, we're all different. We all look different and then the next page, but we're all the same, you know, this is, this is what our noses do, you know, so trying to find the common ground within those differences, um, I think, helps them to see that the differences are okay, and mm-hmm. to be celebrated, and um, the conversations are okay to have, and the questions are okay to ask, you don't have to be scared to ask those questions, um, but again, you know, they, they feel our um, if we're uncomfortable, they feel that, you know, so how right. we respond to those questions is huge. And it, it, you know, to piggyback again, it's reducing those biases, you know, and fostering that empathy, right? Because mm-hmm. with that understanding comes an under, it becomes, you know, a, a more comfortable dialogue between your kids, you know? It, right. So the more often you have it, Fair. Like if you're practiced at something, right, the first time might be difficult or awkward or you might need to learn. But ultimately, the more you do it, the more comfortable you're at it, which means because I think what you're saying too, Jamie, is they learn from us by what we say, but they learn by how we behave. 
So if we're like, oh, uh, and, and you outwardly project a lack of confidence and a, an inability to answer, even if you say the right words, then they're probably going to get the wrong message. For sure. I mean, how you respond really starts to shape their knowledge and their feelings mm-hmm. about something like racism, even if you don't realize it. I mean, if, if your child asks you something about, you know, someone else's skin color, and you shy away from it, or you shush them, or you say, oh, don't, don't ask things like that, we don't talk about things like that, they start to associate that, that with, with something that's bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, talking about differences in skin is bad. Okay, I shouldn't do that. Or maybe they take it a step further. Oh, I asked about someone who has brown skin, and, and they told me not to ask that. So maybe that's a bad thing. So maybe brown skin is a bad thing. You know, mm. we, we don't we don't know that our little brains start start working in ways that, that we don't know. I mean, we can learn so much from them. And they were just asking a question of curiosity and, and you kind of miss that moment to lead mm-hmm. them in a way which would be more of like an anti racist mm-hmm. path. Um, just by answering the question and being honest and truthful and, and like you said, maybe even answer it in just like a scientific manner. Like this is matter of fact, this is why. So, uh, something just came to me as we, as we kind of go through these questions, um, we can, so I find that one of the ways in which Frankie learns the most is when we read. And I'm one of those super nerds. My brother-in-law is an English professor and I'm just, I'm an avid, when I have more time, when I make more time, I'm an avid reader. So we read with Frankie every night. And it is remarkable to me what she retains from the books we read. And so I think I'd like to ask the follow-up question, not to put you on the spot, but is it fair to say that we could probably get ahead of it in a sense, and maybe not get questions that put us off or sort of catch us off guard in a sense that if I'm reading a book with Frankie every night and and I intersperse books about Dr. Seuss and green eggs and ham, but then a book like this, we're different, but we're the same. Maybe she won't look at someone's different color skin and be like, why is that person a different color? Because she's been reading books about it her whole life or, or since she's been reading. Is that a fair I would agree with it. I think the the more the that's practiced in an everyday setting, it doesn't become taboo. It becomes just normal, right? Mm. And and to to really define what normal is, it's that you know those habits that you build, right? Mm-hmm. You're you're having those normal conversations. You're you're creating a a a thought process of okay, let me step back from it. Let me analyze it. Let me truly engage with it and embrace it. So that mm-hmm. those habits then become uh, a, a normal standard of living, right? So well, and, and children only know what we teach them, right? Like, I mean, they can figure stuff out on their own, but um, it's an unfortunate anecdote, but we had a neighbor, we live in a very diverse community because we're sort of um, just on the outskirts of, of Dallas proper. And we had a young lady who lived next to us, was very sweet. And when she moved in, she, she was uh, a couple, but not a family. She had a little boy about six months, I want to say, after we had Frankie. And his name was Kian. He was an adorable little kid. And um, because of reasons beyond her control, she had to move. And so she moved. And when she came back, as she was preparing to sell the house, I asked how things were going. And she said she just had an unfortunate run-in, not run-in, but an unfortunate um, experience where one of her new neighbors, their child had literally never been exposed uh, like routinely to a person of color. And she was uh, scared or intimidated or, or whatnot by, by her son. 
because he just didn't, or she, I think it was, didn't know. And I think that's what we're all trying to, to talk about here today is, is that we have to make sure that everyone knows and that they're represented, even if they're not like largely represented around you, that we read books and watch movies and talk about uh, those differences so that that type of thing doesn't happen. Because like I said, kids only know what we teach them. I mean, as a parent of young kids, you can be very intentional about what you bring into your home. So mm -hmm. you can, you know, buy books that show a representation of kids that look different ways. I mean, you can have another book that's called, you know, um, A Rainbow of Friends. And it's, you know, all, all different, kids look all different. There's a, a child in a, in a um, wheelchair. There's, mm -hmm. you know, child, children that are different colors. Um, so if this is something that you bring into your home and they're seeing it, like you said, it's, it's something that, that hopefully they won't be scared of. I mean, you could think about the toys that you're purchasing for them, the shows that they're mm -hmm. watching on TV and try to integrate diversity in those things. I tell you, um, and I've, I've preached about my ignorance for three weeks now, so I don't mind tipping my hat to myself a little bit and to Emily. That's how we had the unbelievable fortitude and, and fortunate outcome of meeting you was when we decided we were going to have Frankie and a Parents Day Out program, we had looked at private institutions. We'd looked at a number of different public ones, which were, you know, full capacity or whatnot. Somebody recommended yours and sort of some of our standard questions when we first went into these places was, can you tell me about your demographics and, and how your nationalities and your religious beliefs are represented here? And, um, you know, at the time, Miss Samantha um, at that school was like, we have 27 different religions and like 18 different nationalities. And when we walked in your classroom, we saw that there was, you know, seven or eight different names that largely showed that it was a very multi-racial ethnic environment. And I was like, this is where we belong. Go ahead. And I love that. I love that when she would come home, we would know that she was playing with people from all different, um, both walks of life, as well as nationalities and religions and everything like that. So. Well, and it's um, great that you are intentional in that way, but a lot of people aren't, you know, and, sure. and they're scared to do that. So. Well, let's hope that, that, that conversations like this encourage them to be more intentional and to, you know, because really we're talking about not only the physical proximity, which sometimes you only have so much control over, especially right now. I'm like, terrible. My, my daughter has two friends, me and my wife, <laughs> but, uh, but, but we are still intentional about what she watches, what she reads and what we talk about. So, um, I'd like to, to have you guys tell the anecdote because I think this drives home what we're talking about, that when you answer questions, it can oftentimes be very scientific. Um, you had the question, or you had the, the opportunity where um, Isaiah talked about his hair. And so tell that anecdote and kind of how you addressed it so that people could kind of use that as a template, so to speak, of, of how to react. Well, I mean... To, to that point, it, it's it's got to be age appropriate, right? You know, at that mm -hmm. time, it, it's a very curious question. He he's asking that based on, you know, his his environment. He wants to mm -hmm. know why his hair looks the way that it does versus someone else's hair, right? So, um, for a at the time maybe a three year old asking that question, you know, he's asking because his friends have different hair than him, so. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to really be very, very um, specific in, in how you approach that response, age appropriate, right? A kid that's a little bit older that may experience that may, may get a different, you know, response. So for him, it's, 
quote, Isaiah, mommy has, has had, you know, this color hair and daddy had this color type of hair. And we, we want to celebrate that. We want to let you know that your hair is, is specific to you. And, and, you know, just because Johnny or Billy or Susie has this type of hair, that's okay. And that's great. You want straight hair? Well, Hey, this is, this is what the Lord has, has given us and the gift that, that, that uh, you've been presented with. And we want to celebrate that. We want to make sure that, Hey, your, your, your talents and your features are always highlighted, right? We want to make sure that your friends, uh, different differences are also highlighted and celebrated. And it's great that you're curious about straight hair, or it's great that you're curious about your curly hair. Um, we want to make sure that again, it's specific to him. Right. Well, and I would say like within the last year, because he's still, it still comes up sometimes, sure. right? I mean, I've walked into my bathroom with him, like brushing his curls out with hairspray, trying to straighten them, you know? And so, I mean, I've asked him, have people said anything to you about your curly hair? And he's like, no, but I want my hair to look like whoever, you know, he'll name somebody at mm -hmm. school. It's like, why? And he, and he asked me one day, but why is it curly? Why, why is my hair so curly? And so I literally like pulled something up on my tablet and we looked at hair follicles and I was mm -hmm. like, okay, if you have straight hair, your hair follicle is more round. If you have curly hair, your hair follicle is more of an oval, more asymmetrical, you know, and we kind of looked at things and not that he was like, oh, okay, I love curly hair now, but it kind of satisfied him in the moment. Like, well, there's a reason I have this and I got it from mommy and daddy and my hair follicles look like this, you know, and it was like, okay. So I think it's really interesting because obviously, depending on, uh, to Jason's point, depending on age appropriateness and what's going on in their lives, um, the differences may have to do with genetics. It may have to do with ethnicity, being white, being black. It might be being Italian, right? Um, it's funny because at that moment, it might have been because the coolest kid in the class had straight hair. Not because he was white but it's the coolest kid in the class. And so, I mean, it's funny. There's a, a billion dollar industry that allows people with straight hair to make it curly and with curly hair to make it straight because I don't know, grass is always greener. <laughs> we, you know, we sort of sometimes want what we can't have intuitively, but I think, I think it's, it's really the, the point to drive home here is we can't sort of overreact or dismiss it. You know, we have to ride that line of, what a, what a great question. Let me see if I can answer it. Um, when we were having this conversation, Emily and I, she reminded me that um, both my nephew at one point and now my daughter as a visual artist asked me a question that blew my mind. I was like, I don't know how to answer this because it was so exciting. Um, she was riding in the car and she had her hand up and she said, well, look at that, daddy, it's a shadow. And then she said, daddy, what makes a shadow? And I'm like, oh. Oh, it's a question about light. I'm a photographer. How do I answer it? You know? And so when we got to the next space, I, we looked at glass and we looked at our hand and we showed how light passes through the glass, but light doesn't pass through. It was so natural. It was so easy to answer it because it was a scientific question, essentially, of how something's created, which when you're talking about skin color, hair color, or anything else, it's how it's created. Right. right? And I think you handled it in a way that I, I think it's a, a good, a good design. You're, you're doing it together. You know, it's mm -hmm. not genuine because again, you're, you're discovering it with her. Right. So right. 
for her to ask that question, hey, let, let's look at this together. Let's, let's really go, go, go and, and, and uncover some of these mysteries or questions that you may have, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that intention of, hey, maybe I don't know the answer to this great question at the moment, but we're gonna, we're gonna go at it together. Right, yeah, and we, the three of us talked about that before, you know, kind of advice to parents when they're asked a question and, and you're stumped. Yep. Um, especially, you know, lately when it has something to do with race. And, you know, we just talked about the fact that you have to take that opportunity to discuss it and talk about it. And if you don't know exactly what to say, you know, there's no shame in, in saying, you know, I'm not exactly sure. Let's, let's, let's look, let's figure this out together. Let's, let's learn together. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about, oh, I'm scared to say the wrong thing. I'm, I'm comfortable in this, in this talk. And so, you know, for some of us, like maybe you need to go back and re-educate yourself a little bit about some of these issues. And there mm-hmm. are so many good just websites and blogs out there on, on racism and just the history and, and then how to talk to kids about it. Um, there's so many great children's books, but I think like Jason just said the you know, learning together and using that as a moment to show that it's important enough to you that you want to find the answer and, you know, stop and make the time um, so that they know why or, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on in our world right now. Um, it makes a big impact. But if you were just to pull away, you know, like we talked about earlier or kind of shush mm-hmm. them or, oh, I don't know, that's not something that we really talk about, that leaves an impression that they remember. It's also so short-sighted to think that a kid who has a question, right? We know how um, uh, dedicated a kid can be to getting an answer to a question. It's not like you can be like, honey, we don't ask questions like that. It's not like they're going to stop wondering. It's not like they're going to stop, stop looking for an answer. And so I guess sort of a worst fear would be that they go somewhere else to find the answer and it's the wrong one, right? Um, I, I love that. Um, and I hope the audience is listening. We have a nice big group of over 20 people listening. I hope they're listening to the fact that you don't have all the answers coming from two lifelong educators and parents. It's impossible to think you'll have all the answers or that you can get it right immediately every time, right? It's just this idea of honey, what a great question. Daddy doesn't have, I don't think the perfect answer for that. Let's go look it up together. It's inclusive. It's encouraging. It shows love, it shows intention. So um, I love everything about that. I have a question I want to ask you, but first we have a question in the group here. Um, uh, I have a question, this is Michelle. She's a, a good friend of ours. I have a question from a curious heart. Do you feel that a majority of diverse couples are approaching conversations with their children like you both are, or do you feel as though you're in the smaller percentage of how you talk to your kids? Well, thank you, Michelle, for first asking that question I think <clears throat> for us it's intentional you know I think we're, we're having that conversation because I, I think it's just a normal a normal progression for us you know with mm-hmm. everything that's going on in the world it's been it's been heightened um, but at, at a larger scale I, I can't speak to you know, other, other couples and what they're doing, but I hope they are. I hope that those conversations are starting to develop and blossom. Um, for us, I think 
when, when those kids go to school and, and see other kids, that's where it starts to start to drive, right? That's where it starts to gain traction. And you, you get those questions brought home on a regular basis. Well, this person was this, this way with me. Well, that's great. I'm glad that you, you know, engage with that kid. Well, this person did this. Well, let's think about this. Let's step away and, 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 and discuss how, again, uh, to handle that. You know, well, tell that person you didn't like that. You know, how do you handle those positive and negative engagements? And, and for us, I, I think on a, on a daily basis, it's reinforced. It's constantly reinforced. Just this is how we respond to mommy and daddy. This is how we respond in a group. This is, you know, intentional. This is how we want to carry ourselves out in the world. Yeah, cool. this yeah, especially is... as Isaiah's gotten older, um, kids have started saying more things to him um, or asking him questions. You know, I mean, he did come home one day and say something to me about, someone told me that daddy can't be my dad because he has different color skin, you know? And so we talked about it. Um, and for a minute you're like, okay, all right. Then let's mm -hmm. go dive in, right. you know? Yeah. And you have to really lean into that discomfort because it is uncomfortable. But yeah. you, you know, you want to give your kids tools that they can put in their toolbox. So when they're not with you, they know what, you know, they, they have the knowledge and the confidence to be able to speak up for themselves. And this is an entirely opinion-based statement, but I'm going to go ahead and make it because I feel like it's relatively uh, an educated guess rather than a dart thrown at a dartboard. I'm going to go ahead and assume that largely African-American people of color, interracial couples are probably talking about race with their children far more often than a traditional Caucasian family. And I don't think that's malintended. I think it's just because it comes up. I think it's just because people would say something like if you have a fairer skinned child with an African-American father, somebody says something like, that can't be your daddy. And then you have to, and then you're sort of confronted by talking about race. So I think in a lot of cases it is intentional. I think other cases it's just projected in front of you because of things that people say and do, I think, but for, for a Caucasian family, in many cases, they can just kind of go through their whole life and never be, um, never be, uh, never have to talk about race unless they choose to, it has to be an active decision. Um, so I, Michelle, I hope that answers your question. I thank you both for, for answering both what you're doing and in hope of what's happening elsewhere. Uh, we obviously don't have any data on it, but, um, Catherine Moorhead has shared that they're engaging in these conversations at home. Miss Jamie taught, um, that at our school last year. So obviously you're having a huge impact. I think, uh, even though we had this kind of to discuss further down, um, now's the time because you mentioned a toolbox and you mentioned about teaching your children. Can you tell the anecdote about the time it happened in your classroom with the young lady who talked about the skin color, what we can learn from both sides of that anecdote? Sure. Um, this was years ago. Um, but in a class that I taught, the kids were aged three and four. Um, and, um, a girl, uh, who a Caucasian girl said to a little boy in the class who was African-American, um, she said, I don't like your poop colored skin. 
And I mean, I opened my mouth to say something and just in that time, he said to her very clearly and um, with confidence, I like the color of my skin and I don't like, I don't like it when you say things like that to me. And just pretty much nipped it in the butt to the point where, um. right. I mean, at three and four years old. <laughs> so to me, first, I was just like, oh, I just so proud of you. You know, wanted to, you know, because she had said it in front of the entire class and then he responded in front of the entire class. Mm -hmm. I kind of at that moment let it go and then spoke to both of them separately. Okay. Um, and then we brought it up again later in front of the class, not not with them specifically, but just in general. Um, but when I spoke to her, I said, you know, what was, you know, the comment that you made about his skin, why, why did you make that comment? And she just explained to me, well, I just thought it was the same color. I said, well, did you think that could be hurtful to him? And she said, I didn't think about it. Like, okay, well, we need to think about things before we say them. Um, and she just kind of, you know, I don't know that it clicked in that moment. Mm. Um, but I think that his response to her really got through to him more than probably my talk did. Mm -hmm. You know, someone her age having the strength to stand up and say, mm -mm, you know, this isn't right. I like my color of skin and I don't want you to say that to me. And I just spoke to him and just tried to kind of give him to reaffirm what he said, you know, what you said was perfect. In that moment, I am so proud of you for standing up for yourself. Um, that is exactly right. I'm so sorry that someone said something that, that was hurtful to you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was pretty much it. Um, I'm, uh, this is, I think, the third time we've talked about this story. And every time we talk about it, I get emotional. And every time we talk about it, there's sort of something new that's brought to life. And I think that it was the most amazing anecdote for a couple of reasons when you dig into why she said what she said, um, it's funny. I like teaching Frankie things that she may not quite understand yet, but that wow other adults. So uh, I taught her the difference between being scared and being startled while I pushed her on the swing and we were at the park one day and she said, dad, you startled me. And these adults were like, how does she know what the word startled means? <laughs> Um, and you know, when people ask her what uh, Emily's favorite color is, she says turquoise, not blue because it's actually turquoise. And so, Lately, she's been just doing things, I think, oftentimes to get negative attention getting behavior, or she just, I think, sometimes struggles with those synapses firing fast enough to what her little body wants to do. And I'm trying to teach her what it means to have impulse control. Um, so she'll come over crying because she got in trouble with mommy. And I'm like, what happened? She said, I didn't have impulse control <laughs> because she'll like kick the dog or kick towards the dog or throw a toy. And I think that speaks volumes about what happened to that little girl, right? She just said something that she said because it's something that she thought and her filter at that moment was turned off. Um, it wasn't necessarily regarded race. And the calm reaction of somebody her same age that would approach it in any other way, like if she had thrown a toy or if she had done anything else to say, I like the color of my skin, and I don't like people that say those things or behave that way would probably resonate a lot better than somebody flipping out and blowing it out of proportion and reacting in a way that scared the child or, you know, so 
Um, we, we, as, we as parents all the time say, use your words, right? Mm -hmm. Actions, right? So mm -hmm. we, we immediately want to react in a certain way, but yep. we, we, we as parents, as educators, we want to use those words with intent, right? So it's building that vocabulary in an everyday intentional way to be mm -hmm. very specific in, in terms of what our point we're trying to get across. That young man said, you know what? I, I really don't like the way that that came across to me and mm -hmm. have vocabulary in a way to address it, right? And yep. for whatever age that young man was, right? The parents gave him that vocabulary and you're giving your daughter that vocabulary. And I think all parents can give their kids a, a better vocabulary to how to speak to those things, right? Because they're intentional on, an, uh, uh, on a daily basis. It's not something that just happened overnight. That kid didn't learn, learn that speech overnight or learn mm -hmm. that, you know, those words. So um, building that habit, I think is important. Your, your, inclu your inclusiveness and your lessons on a daily basis have to be intentional so that, again, you're, you're comfortable with it, right? That mm -hmm. kid was so comfortable, it was, it was natural, it was normal. You know, mm -hmm. it, wasn't, it wasn't a knee-jerk type of a response. It was, it was, re it was, it was prepared. You know, sure. something that's been drilled. Which Do you think really that to your point, Don, about you know, are are people having these conversations? So there was, you know, maybe the little girl hadn't had any conversations with her parents about race to realize that saying something like that is hurtful. Mm -hmm. Even though she maybe wasn't coming from that place. Yeah. Saying something like that is hurtful. Whereas, you know, his parents had clearly set him up for success. You know, yeah, if they had had conversations, maybe she wouldn't have said that, right? It, it would have, it would have clicked that saying something like that would have been insensitive or racially insensitive. You know, it may not have clicked to the degree, but it would have made sense. I have to ask based on sort of that, this whole conversation about having uh, the conversations and what the intention was and three and four year old classroom, do you think that we largely underestimate the capacity of a child at that age to learn? And so we're maybe we as a society largely aren't talking to them early enough. I, I, I think, I think so. Yes. I, I think they, I think we largely do underestimate it. Kids have a, a great capacity to learn. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's, it's not, let me, let me think about how I want to approach this. Um, it's not too early to talk to your kids, especially now about racism or slavery, right? Mm -hmm. where, did, where, 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 did that, where did that begin? You know, how long has this been going on? How, how long have black people felt, you know, um, unequal to the, the rest of society, right? And, and mm -hmm. what were some of those things? Again, I think you can make it, and approach it and discuss it in a way that's age appropriate, right? Mm -hmm. So those kids have at least a, a, a platform to, to, to start from, right? A, a launching point. So in terms of what they are absorbing, they're sponges. They, they absorb so much information, mm -hmm. you know, verbal, nonverbal, but to, to sit down with your, your, your son, your daughter, um, at any point in time to start this conversation, I think is important. And, you know, we, we as a nation can grow from it because 
or having those earlier conversations. The earlier they have that conversation, the easier it is maybe down the road for our kids and maybe their, our grandkids to feel comfortable. Yeah. You know, that we, we, we've talked about it already that a lot of people are, are make, I mean, I'll just give it an anecdote from, you know, mm-hmm. as soon as all this started, I've, the phone started ringing. Mm-hmm. What, what can I do? You know, I stand with you. I, I'm, I'm afraid to, to say anything. I, I, I don't know how to really engage with, with other people, but I, I feel comfortable enough to talk to you, Jason. Right. So mm-hmm. that's a starting point. Let's launch from there. Um, yeah. And it's okay to step, you know, step in the mud or, you know, put your foot in your mouth. But if, if you don't do that, you don't grow from it. Mm-hmm. So education for kids, I think can start right now. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to give an example of something that, you know, I, I like to do in my preschool class. Um, and again, you know, you're talking three, four years old. Um, I have a, like a simplified lesson that teaches them about Rosa Parks. Um, and most adults know that story and her giving up her seat um, in the bus because of the color of her skin. Um, and just teaching that to kids, they get a little, they, they don't quite get it. So mm-hmm. then what I did then is I tied it to, okay, in our classroom, we have assigned seats. So your name is on a seat. This is, you know, Johnny's seat. Um, but you know what? Only people who have uh, short hair can sit down in a seat. Everyone else, you don't get a seat. The kids immediately, that's not fair. Mm. I, I, that's, my, that's my seat. That's not fair. Why are you giving my seat away? There's an association. You know, yeah. and so I have to bring it down to their level. And kids mm. get the, the concept of fairness. Yep. I think everyone gets the concept of fairness, but that's sure. one way to bring it up with kids who are younger. Um, and I found that that's a really good way. And so then you kind of bridge that conversation. Well, was it fair when Rosa Parks had to give up her seat mm-hmm. because of the color of her skin? No, that wasn't fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, to your question, do we think kids at that age learn? I had two parents this year reach out to me and say, okay, my, my three-year-old, came home and told me about Rosa Parks. Like, that's awesome. You know, so they, they do get it. You just have to try to figure out how to bring it down to their level um, in a way that makes sense to them. And I want to underscore that. So let's say that again, Miss Jamie, because uh, there it is again, Miss Jamie. <laughs> uh, I want to I underscore that and put an exclamation point at the end of that sentence because as you were talking, that's what I was hearing, right? So that anecdote teaches us that when we think there is something that might be too advanced, can't be simplified enough. It's on us as parents to basically say, my child needs to learn this. It's my responsibility to bring it down to a level of simplicity to help them understand what it means. And I think that's when I say, like, I think we sometimes don't anticipate just how much we need to be talking to our children because it's harder work to take something that's complicated and, and, I don't even think, like you said, Jamie, they don't need to understand the depth and breadth of it all. If they can just understand that it's not fair, right? You don't have to teach them about a lack of justice. It's unjust. It's bigotry. It's hatred. It's racism. It's just not fair. 
is something they can map, wrap their minds around and it primes the pump for when you do have those more complicated conversations when they get a little bit older. So that's like, why you're an educator. <laughs> I mean, Jason has said this a couple of times, it has to be age appropriate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sooner or later you can, you can get more into it and give more detail, but at that younger age, if you can just start at that lower level, then we hope that the, the conversations will be more comfortable mm-hmm. as they grow older. Uh, I'm going to take a minute to uh, give a shout out to my mother. Your mother's watching and so is mine. Um, My mom, who I think did a pretty good job, but I'm biased, says uh, children are like little sponges and will absorb out everything that they are exposed to. I believe that children uh, are what they live and will grow up to be adults, um, how they have been nurtured by their parents. And then she goes on to say platitudes about me. So we'll go ahead and leave that alone. But I love you, mom. And thank you for being here. And uh, Michelle also adds in, I love having a comfortable place to ask the hard questions, um, not only here, but my own family as well. Uh, I think that uh, now would be a good time to kind of shift our our focus a little bit to talk about some of the resources we want to create. You guys will notice if you're watching live right now and and when I go uh, and post this elsewhere, I'll make sure to put it in the show notes and in the comments. One of the goals that I had um, with Jason and Jamie was to share their narrative and story to talk about what we can do, how we can act, how we can educate ourselves and how we can educate our children, but also to provide you all with resources. And so largely what we're gonna do is post some uh, links to books. Above where I posted the um, Sesame Street one that you talked about, uh, Jamie, was wonderful. Not only is the book available, but there's a read along on the Sesame Street channel on YouTube. So I posted the link to that and I think it's a great way if you wanna share that story with your children right away. Uh, how do you know Aaron Dowell? I know I'm kind of throwing this at you. We didn't pre-frame this, but you sent me that link. How do you know her? Our, uh, so my younger son, Dominic, and her mm-hmm. daughter were in class together last year. Okay. So you shared with me her website. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a, I'm going to post the link right now in the uh, comments. I'm just going to go ahead and hit enter and it should work. Boom. This is her website. Um you sent that to me. Uh, you sent a post, which I'm gonna I'm gonna share that link as well. Uh, she is um, she's starting up a, a, an initiative for equality. And what was so wonderful about the site was she not only shares uh, a number of things for adults, but she created a post. Uh, simply stated, it's uh, basically social justice resources for kids. So I wanted to post that not only because any friend of Jamie's is a friend of mine, but also because it was so wonderful to see her creating a, um, a place where we could learn as adults, but also she provided resources um, for folks. Um, do you want to add anything to that? No, just that, I mean, definitely take a look. She has so many um, helpful resources. And I would say if you're at a point where, you know, you think, well, these issues haven't really come up, with my children, well, start reading now so you're prepared and find a way to bring them up yourself um, so that you know you, you start that education before they come to you. Being informed is so important, so important. And it, it takes time and it takes energy. And I think um, one of the things that Emily and I have talked about is it's really challenging to think about what's going on in the world right now. There's so much hurt, so much divisiveness, so much pain the only thing that uh, I think brings hope to what's going on is that 
it's it's like a perfect storm, right? All this is going on at a time where so many of us are largely almost captive or don't have the demands on our time that we used to have. There's just a part of us that we look forward and say, sadly, if these things were going on any other time, we'd all take notice of the shiny object and then get back to our lives because that's what life's about, you know, making money and supporting our families and taking care of our kids. But right now, we have an opportunity to be sort of a captive audience. And, and from that, I certainly hope that we can bring change. Um, right now, what, what, what I'm doing is I am listing all the books that you recommended. Um, I'm listing them on Amazon perfectly candidly because it was easier for me to search for them and find them. We can certainly have you all look for them and buy them at the outlet of your choice. If you are gonna use Amazon, I highly recommend if you haven't done it already, uh, you can use uh, smile.amazon.com and that allows a proceed uh, portion of the proceeds to benefit a charity of your choosing. Um, in the past, I've used the birthday party project or um, other ones that are on there. So I recommend that. It was super fun, Miss uh, Jamie, as I was looking through some of these books, I recognized that there was an actual sort of uh, collection of books. The one that you sent, um, Maya, which of course is based on Maya Angelou. Shortly there further down, I saw that there's a whole collection of them. And so I also grabbed the links to the one about Rosa Parks because I expected that we would be taking, uh, talking about the anecdote uh, of your fairness uh, exercise in class, which I love. And I like that so many of these books talk about both the differences that we see but you've also highlighted a number of books like the one called I Like Myself. And I think that's really important. Do you have any thoughts? I know this wasn't in our preframe and I'm putting you on the spot, but do you have any thoughts about that? I mean, I would, I would have to say that it's, it's equally important, if not more important, to promote self-love and self-care and appreciation of oneself, as well as pointing out the differences amongst us. Is that a fair statement? Sure, I think, you know, if you're able to appreciate the qualities in yourself and learn to like and love yourself and your heritage and your background. Um, it's, it's easier to be accepting of others. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's one of the reasons I love that. I like myself book. Um, yeah. Anything to add? Look, I, you know, it, it makes me think of the golden rule, right? So how you want to be treated that self love, that self-respect, that that understanding of, of of your being and how wonderful you are, you know, allows you to then empathize and, and be caring of others, right? You you want to be able to project that and receive it. I um I find that, and we've talked about this in the past, and I, I think I mentioned it earlier. We're all our, we are our own worst critic, and I think that if Unfortunately, the criticisms and negativity that is, is sort of pushed upon us, it's, it's largely up to us to counteract that. And unfortunately, I think sometimes what happens is it gets more deeply rooted. And when that happens to people as children, I think they just basically grow up uh, fighting an uphill battle and trying to, and trying to overcome right, a place of that. And, it, and it's funny because when we, you know, we try to tell Frankie not how smart she is, but how hard she tries. And, you know, 
compliment her effort and things like that. Cause we want her to know that so much in life is showing up and giving it a hundred ten percent. And when she does something now where she knows she's going to get in trouble, she'll come over and sort of apologize. And I'll say, well, that's okay. You know, you recognize you did something wrong. Will you try harder next time? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, children are just such fragile little creatures, you know? And it, and it also speaks to, you know, we're constantly reframing it and trying to produce the best version of ourself. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's, it's okay to, to fail. That's how we learn. You know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's learning from those mistakes, which makes us great, you know, mm-hmm. it's then successful later on in life, right? We're constantly adapting. And that's why this conversation is so great. You know, we're having a conversation that's uncomfortable, but the more uncomfortable situations and conversations that we have, we, we are more equipped for the next one. You know, we're, we're more informed. We're, we're learning from each other on a daily basis and we're learning from our kids we're learning from other adults you know this is a great example of how 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 to live this is you know a way to improve upon it and and etc etc so um i love that i'd like to distill something out of that and that's again one of my bigger flaws is i was always uh, a self-proclaimed sort of perfectionist And uh, I realized later on in life that that was a futility. There is no such thing as perfect. And just when you think you've attained a perfect, you'll shift the measure and you'll realize you're not perfect anymore. And so progression is what I'm all about. And Jason, that thought of uh, incremental growth, incremental education, learning from one another, if I'm a little bit better, and I'm not even talking about a yardstick, if I'm a little bit better today than I was yesterday, I'm going to go ahead and put a a mark in the W column. Um, That's the only way I feel about it. Your mom, not altogether surprising, Jamie, has brought forth a point that we haven't talked about. We didn't pre-frame, but I think is brilliant. She said that grandparents need to be aware of how they talk to their grandchildren about these issues. And not only do I agree with that, but I want to talk to you too for a moment about educating up. We don't oftentimes think about educating up. But in addition to teaching our children who are uh, new, sort of somewhat blank canvases, sometimes we have to paint over the picture that's already on the canvas above us and reframe and recreate something. Do you guys have any thoughts or words, both as as children of parents, as educators, uh, how important that is, how to do it? And this is sort of outside of the purview of excellence that we have you here, but I'm sure you have maybe some thoughts on it. Um, well, I I think we're both really lucky in that we haven't had to do (laughs) that type of re-education with our, um, parents, but mom, that's a very good point. And I think we should look at that together. (laughs) Okay. Jason, do you have anything to add? Um, you know, my, my immediate, my immediate, uh, response is, I'm blessed to have my parents, you know, I think I've learned a great deal from them. I consider my parents, my heroes, you know, um, for a number of different reasons. Um, you know, but my mom's light skin, my, my dad, I look more like him, you know, and the, the conversations that have, have constructed themselves throughout my upbringing and even still today, I, I think I'm blessed in the fact that I can then project that out in the world, 
you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and some, some people even recognize that whether it's, Hey, you do look like your dad, right. Or you do speak like your mom or, you know, I, I there, there's parallels that we draw that again, reinforces certain things that, that we're doing. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I think that's kind of what I want to touch on. I, to drill down a little bit further, I think I need a little bit more of a, a frame to, to step in the, into. Um, sure. But I, I think for, for me and mm -hmm. what we try to do as a, as, as a family is continue growth. Right. I think like, I, I, I see where my mom's coming from for sure. Mm -hmm. I think that growing up, you know, I would hear things being said that I knew weren't right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my mom and my aunt too would obviously think they weren't right as well and be like, it's an older generation, you know? Right. And so I think like as a whole, we tend to just kind of give them a pass, but that's not right either. Um, yeah. So I think that's a perfect segue into sort of my thought about it is um, my grandfather, um, who we lost quite some time ago, but was basically my paternal influence in life. Um, he's the person I would probably uh, say was my dad was of a different generation, like an entirely different generation, right? He was like early boomer or part of the greatest generation. And so he was never malicious about it, but he was oftentimes insensitive about it. And, you know, my mother did a wonderful job of raising us in a way that was very much anti-racism. We grew up in an ethnic community. We grew up around people that didn't look like us. And I think to your point, uh, Jamie, we oftentimes are endearing of our older generation. We say, well, they don't know any better or they're a product of a different generation. But what I'll tell you was the older I got and I had a very special relationship with my grandfather. And I guess for those of you that are listening, if you have a member of the older generation, right, and you're teaching your kids to be better about it, what I learned was from what I learned from my mom when it would happen, the older I got, if I would sit my grandfather down and have a conversation with him about it, it was sort of just like when you talk to your children in that he wanted me to be proud of him. He wanted us to have that close relationship. And so when I would say to him, you know, Pappy, I can't, I can't abide by what you're saying. I understand that sometimes you don't feel like you know any better. So I'm here to tell you that you know better. And I need you to not do those things. I need you to not say those things. And he would say, I know, buddy, you know, it's, uh, I'll, I'll work better at it, right? So the argument there, I guess, in my opinion, is if we're doing all the things you guys are so wonderfully educating us on today to teach our children, yeah. believe it or not, those children, if they sort of mimic that behavior and they're uh, educated in that way, they'll probably help teach the older generations. We just need to not brush it off. We need to sort of attack it. No, I, agree. I agree. Awesome. Well, thanks for letting me tell that anecdote real quick. Um, lots of platitudes for you two, two people. Crystal says, love you and so proud of you and Jason for doing this. Education and communication is the key. And then uh, Jamie Connor says, you guys are great and speak so well to make people understand how to talk to their kids. They love you. Aw, thank you. Thank Lee. you. Um, there's not a lot of people that would spend an hour with me having a conversation as um, charged and in some ways uncomfortable as this. Um, I think the three of us, after our initial conversation, realized that regardless of how charged or uncomfortable it may or may not have been, it was necessary. 
Um, is there anything else you guys like to add? Any last takeaways you want to share with the audience before we let them get back to their Friday? Well, for me, I, I think we, we need to embrace it all and, 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 and lean into the tough conversation more often. You know, it, it's okay to, to, to pick up the phone and have those conversations to engage with a friend or a, a family member or maybe step outside of our comfort zone and engage with someone that we're not familiar with. You know, get to know them a little bit in a way that gives you a, a, a bigger um, understanding or, or greater understanding of, you know, how that, that person lives their life and what their culture is about, you know? So mm -hmm. having, having a, um, you know, or exhibiting a, an empathy for, you know, someone that may treat you unfairly doesn't exclude you from having conversations with other people, right? You, you want to learn from that instance and, and understand that, Hey, not every person thinks the same way. And, and mm -hmm. we're going to attack this in a way that uh, is through, through our vocabulary, right? And, and having, having a dialogue that gives us, you know, um, support. It's going gonna, it's gonna to lift us up. So please lean in. Please have a conversation. Um, that's what I want to, to um, broadcast to everyone out there is, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to talk to anyone on the situation um, because I can learn from it too. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not a, a person that's afraid to say that I have blind spots, but if I can fill in those gaps, it's going to help me educate my kids even more. The kids that I, that obviously are in my household and the kids <laughs> sure. that I have in, in the classroom, you know, um, as well. Love everything about that. Jamie. Um, definitely agree with all that. Um, you know, just to piggyback on that, you know, you have to lean into the discomfort. And I would say my takeaway would be you can't just talk the talk. You also have to walk the walk. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, something I see in our everyday lives is, you know, I'm just going to say it. Still this level of discomfort around black men. And, you know, I'll give just a quick personal example. You know, we as a family have taken a lot of walks here recently, right? Because there's not a whole lot we can do. Um, mm -hmm. And Jason walks our dog. A lot, it was a, can be a scary looking dog. He's a bigger dog, the sweetest dog you've ever met in your life, but a bigger looking, a bigger dog, you know, a black man walking him. And, you know, I've seen neighbors that will walk by the boys and I, hello, nice to see you. And they see Jason coming, may not realize he's with us, you know, we're all a family together. You can also acknowledge him and we'll kind of cross the street to avoid him. You know, maybe make it about the dog. Um, there's another instance when, you know, in the morning, sometimes our, our younger son will walk with Jason. And it's like a totally different world. When they see this cute little boy walking around, all of a sudden, Jason and the dog are more approachable, you know, mm. and they'll come up to him. Mm -hmm. um, so what I mean by if you're going to talk the talk, walk the walk. If you're going to walk by and say hello to this white woman, you know, don't cross the street if you see a black man. It's everything that you've said to your child, if your child is with you, has just been thrown out the window. 
because you've just instilled a little bit of fear in your child, right? Mm -hmm. That for some reason, my parent was scared to walk by this person. And they feel that, and that can be more powerful than all the talking you had already done. What an um, unbelievable message, and that's that our children um, learn from us based on what we say and how we educate them, but they also learn just as much, if not more, from what we do and how we behave. And so we sort of essentially have to lead by example. Long gone are the days of do as I say, not as I do. We have to live um, the truth and the education that we want them to have. Live, yeah. live your truth, for sure. That's it. I would, I mean, the other really quick thing I would say is like, you know, don't think that these issues don't apply to you and try to find a way to talk about it. And, you know, the conversations, you know, an African-American family is having with their son right now is, is going to be completely different than what, you know, a Caucasian family is having with their son. But mm -hmm. there's, there's a way to still have the conversation and to bring it up and not just say, this is, what hap this is what's happening, but then also take it a step further and try to teach that person how to then be anti-racist, how to teach them how to be an ally, how to teach them to stand with a community that you may not think you're a part of. Um, and if that can start the younger, the better, you know? 100%. My takeaway. You guys are amazing. Um, I know that even though I've been sort of on a quest to educate myself, this personal um, experience with you as parents and as educators has been enlightening to me. I'm confident it has been enlightening to the people um, that are listening along. I've had a few questions in the uh, thread here about they want other people to listen to it. So just so you guys know, you're sort of quasi famous already, not just in our hearts, but now sort of on the internets. So if you're watching and you're asking that question to yourself and didn't type it, please know that this video will both be on the YouTube channel as well as uploaded to the podcast as soon as those are ready. So if you want someone to watch it or listen to it, I'll post them in the thread here so you have access to them. Before we go, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you spending your time and sharing your story, uh, your experience, and your knowledge as educators with the audience. So thank you both. Um, we're going to say goodbye to Facebook real quick. So if you guys want, I'm going to tee it up. You guys can wave and say, bye, Facebook land. Thanks for the perspective, Facebook land. <laughs> Don, thank <laughs> you for doing this because it's important. So you bet. It was my pleasure. Yeah.